Good evening. Again, let's have our Bibles open to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. A number of our people, as you can see, are either out of town or ill tonight, but we are here to study the Bible, and that's what we will do in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Solomon calls upon his readers to take what might be called a virtual journey with him through a life that is vain, and it's vain because of the absence of God. Life that depends only on what this world and this earth offers, but without God is vain. It has no good ultimate purpose because God and his will is ignored. Right there you recognize the relevance of Ecclesiastes because many people today need to hear this. Life on earth is pursued with robust joy, but then what happens in the end? Solomon wants his readers to understand that learning to be a human being in the fullest sense is to learn about the Creator and give your life to His will. Otherwise, if you depend just on what's here on the earth, it is vanity. Put God in your life, fear God and keep His commandments, and there is rich, high purpose that makes all of your good efforts here mean something. Solomon doesn't really drive home to that conclusion until the end of the book, but we know that that is his destination. So we'll continue tonight in chapter 1, verse 4 of Ecclesiastes after prayer. Heavenly Father, to thee we express our praise and our adoration, our love and gratitude for who Jesus is and what he did for us. May that sincerity create and maintain our interest in thy word and our efforts tonight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Listen please as I read verses 4 through 11. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it is already, it has been already in the ages before us. Let me read verse 10 again. I misread part of that. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. 
Let me try first to express the main idea of this passage we've read. Here's what we encounter in this part of Solomon's writing. When life here on earth is lived without God, it can soon become very boring and routine. It's the same thing over and over, but it doesn't really fulfill the deeper needs and purposes of our existence. This passage is a poetic expression of that. When life here on earth is lived without God, it can soon become boring and routine. The same thing over and over again, the cycles repeat, but not really fulfilling and not really satisfying our purpose here. If your efforts to find value and meaning become boring and empty, it confirms that life on earth without God is vanity. This is one of many reasons to seek not what is under the sun, but rather seek first the maker of the sun, God the creator. So that gives you an idea of what this main concept is that's being hammered away at in verses 4 through 11. Now let's go back and take a look at it. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Let's talk about that. Let's start at the end of it. This doesn't mean that the material universe is eternal, because that's ruled out by Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. What this signifies in Hebrew poetic terms is that the earth has permanence about it in contrast to the passing human generations. Let me say that again. The earth has permanence about it in contrast to the passing human generations. And so Solomon says the sun comes up and goes down and etc. He describes those cycles and he describes it in terms of over and over again. Now, think about what changes. What changes under the sun is not the sun going up and down and the water and the wind. What changes is the occupants. What changes is the people. So, look at this opening verse in this paragraph, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4. And look at the contrast. Human existence is transient. The earth cycles of nature continue. The sun is still here. You check the obituaries tomorrow and see if the sun is listed there. The sun is not going to be listed in the obituaries. You check the obituaries and you find in the obituaries people. But you never do find the sun or water or the wind. That's the contrast in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 4. The earth remains, it seems to us, forever. Generations of people come and go. <coughs> now let's dig a little further into it. God created the heavens and the earth and set various natural cycles in place. 
And those systems continue. There is seed time and harvest. There are various weather and water cycles. Scientists observe those cycles in nature and they study all of that and they discover repetition. In fact, it is in that repetition of the natural cycle of things under the sun, it is in that repetition and that normalcy that scientists are able to affirm the discoveries that they make. Scientists and researchers learn more and more, but they are learning more and more about systems God put in place in the beginning, and they are repetitive. What changes then? The human occupants of the earth. And that's the contrast of Solomon's statement in Ecclesiastes 1 and verse 4. Solomon describes these various cyclical systems that God put in place. He talks about sun, wind, and water. Let's listen to part of that again, starting out verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So when you look at the earth, what's under the sun, and the natural events and the natural functions that go on, God put those in place and they go through various cycles. And to say that another way, rather crudely, it just keeps happening. It just keeps happening. As an aside, let me bring up that there are people who worship the sun. Are people who worship the wind or the water. In pagan religious culture, you will discover, and even today in some New Age cultures, you'll discover people who worship the sun or the wind or the water without acknowledging the one who created all of that. Yet, the sun just does what it does over and over. Without any personal communication to those who worship it, the sun doesn't acknowledge that people worship it, and the sun doesn't provide information to its worshipers about what to do with their lives and how it's all going to end. And the same is true of the wind and the water. So if you get all wrapped up in nature, and you become a worshiper of nature, as pagans do and as New Age people do, you need to stop and think, who put these systems into place? The observation is made by Paul in Romans 1 that people reached such a level of depravity that they would worship the things God made rather than God. In other words, their worship needs to go the ultimate step to the one who made all these systems and put them into place. Uh, who set up these dependable physical patterns? Well, it was God. And the greater point here is, if you attach your life only to what earth has to offer, without God, it is vanity. It is of no profit. It is a striving after 
the wind. That's the primary point of this. I think when we get to verse 8, we have arrived at Solomon's main point. All things are full of wearisome. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The cycle of nature is a marvel, but it's a marvel because of who put it into place and how it works. And the cycle of nature is a necessary and worthy object of study and exploration. But it isn't what life is all about. It isn't what life is all about. And Solomon then says, to move a little closer to his main point, seeing and listening is really not ultimately satisfying. Not at the level of what our purpose is. Ask a weatherman who is a Christian. And he will say, nature is interesting and it's necessary to watch for patterns and to be informed. But the, the Christian weatherman will say to you, I receive no life lessons from the weather map or the radar. I am not redeemed. I am not promised of eternity from the cycles that I study every day in nature. What, what we need is not the cycles that God put in place, but the God who put them into place. And that's what Solomon is driving at here, if I understand it correctly. Here on earth, locking yourself into the here and now of nature and the earth and what's under the sun, you eventually fill yourself with weariness and there's only so much man can say about it. And man doesn't receive any guidance from it, any redemption from it, any promise of eternity from the sun or the wind or the water. Notice in verse 8, it is unsatisfying or unfulfilling. The eyes not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Have you ever had this experience? The first time you see some beautiful exhibition of God's creative work, you were just awestruck. You are delighted and you are deeply impressed by what you see. I think of the first time I saw the Grand Canyon or when I first went to Hawaii or the Cayman Islands or earlier this year the Smoky Mountains of East Tennessee. There is an immediate impression of the superb beauty of God's work. But you can't get stuck there. It's not going to give you any guidance about how to live your life and how to relate to people, nor is it going to provide any redemption or nor any promise of eternity. It is not what life is all about. The one who made those things and put those things in place and our relationship to him is what life is all about. Charles. Good point. I hadn't thought about that. Good point that he makes. Jesus acknowledged the cycles of nature and the beauty of them, but he took them to the one who created all of that. And of course, Jesus was involved. Jesus was at work in that creative week. Good point. 
All these things on earth are full of weariness. And Solomon then says, there's nothing new under the sun. So I can study all about the sun and the solar system and the water cycle and the wind patterns, but that doesn't satisfy the needs of the soul. It doesn't prepare me for death. Another side point that I'll make, many people have a religion that involves the stars. But again, that isn't high enough. We need to look to and build our lives on the one who made those stars and who, by the way, can count them every single one and name them. So I can study about all those things and be impressed by the beauty of all that, but that doesn't satisfy what I need for life under the sun, and it doesn't prepare me for death. Anything else before I go further? That's right. And there are many things along the journey that maybe could be called scenery, that are beauty and that were beautiful and put in place by God, but they don't prepare us to leave this life and go to another one. Good, good point. I think one thing I could say about it is that the stars and the sun and the wind and the water do not hold you accountable. God holds you accountable to live a certain way while you're here. But the rocks and the mountains and the sun and the stars and the solar system do not really hold you accountable, nor give you guidelines about how you live your moral life and what you do about relating to people. So uh, pagans, in many cases, developed an attitude of worship toward nature hoping that their crops wouldn't be destroyed or that, uh, that th there wouldn't be storms that would devastate them. <clears throat> but they didn't go high enough in uh, going all the way back to the one who created all of that. If I'm mature, what I realize in verse 9 is there's nothing new under the sun. So we've been talking about the sun, wind, and water. Let me ask you this. Did Adam and Eve have the sun, wind, and water? Well, of course they did. They had all that. And here we are today in 2017, getting closer to 2018, by the way, and we have the same elements of nature that God put into place and the same cycles that Solomon wrote about, sun, wind, and water. We don't expect that to change until the Lord ends our earthly existence. By the way, uh, some trivia here. This line, the sun rises and the sun goes down in verse 5, was the inspiration for Ernest Hemingway's title, the Sun Also Rises, that was published in 1926, that many of us may have been asked to read in high school or college literature, but might not have finished. Hemingway based that on this passage, but he didn't write about this passage. I mean, he didn't, he didn't write biblical commentaries, but he took that from uh, this statement. Well, the sun came up this morning, didn't it? So you have Adam and Eve who saw these cycles and had the advantage of them under the sun. Solomon wrote about them and here we are and we still see them. So 
there's nothing new under the sun as it pertains to the matters at hand here. And I'll work on that a little bit more here in just a moment. Verse 10 expands on that by using inquiry. That's another function or feature of Hebrew literature to use inquiry. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new, it has been already in the ages before us? Now let's stop there and park a moment or two and think about it. Those secularists, I'll call them, people who are limited to the secular world, life under the sun. Those secularists who celebrate and worship technology and science want us to believe that science will take us to a new age that will be more fulfilling and worthwhile than previous ages. That's what scientists many of them have always said. And that was the claim about technology and how technology is going to going to save us. Well, we have the same old problems, don't we? War and violence is still here. People get sick and die, and there is sin everywhere. Now, we have very different, faster communication tools and perhaps in the medical world, we have, we have devices and procedures that we didn't have a long time ago. But people still lie and cheat and scam and openly express lewdness with the newer devices. So methods are repackaged, but really Solomon is right. There's nothing new under the sun. In essence, nothing new, though our methods and our tools certainly change. If you look back at the tools and the methods in the patriarchal age in Genesis and read some of the descriptions of their tools, and then you look at some of the tools that we have today, there's change in tools and methods but the sun and wind and water, those cycles continue and you continue to see the obituaries every day and generations come and generations go. Verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Solomon will return to this point several times before he arrives at his conclusion that life is all about fearing God and keeping his commandments. Before Solomon gets to that conclusion, several times he's going to tell us that generations come and generations go and they're forgotten. They're forgotten. I'm going to illustrate that with a personal illustration. This is my grandfather on my father's side. I mentioned in another illustration the other day, my grandfather on my mother's side. This is my grandfather on my father's side. He died before I was born. I know about six or seven things about this man. 
His name was Charles Rice Berkeley. He was born in 1873. Before obeying the gospel, he had a real problem with drinking during the prohibition. Then he heard and obeyed the gospel, became a Christian, eventually became a deacon in the local church, and this is an interesting thing you never would have imagined. During the Depression years, he made and sold tamales in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And then after that, he and my grandmother were house parents in the orphan's home in Moralton, Arkansas. Now, that's it. That's all. I, I told you that in about 28 seconds, less than a minute. That's all I know about him. That's all I know about him. That's it. My grandchildren don't know anything about Charles Rice Berkeley, except for the one who's sitting back there and heard what I just said. What are the chances that my great-grandchildren will even know his name? much less know anything about him. In fact, in teaching Ecclesiastes, in some classes, I have asked the class, how many of you can name your great-great-grandfather? And occasionally I'll get a hand. And then I'll extend it and I'll say, how many of you can name your great-great-great-grandfather? And the hands start going down. And as I go back through the generations, I come to a place pretty quick, quickly when nobody remembers the former generation. I understand today that there's modern interest in genealogy, but that's research. It's not memory. So the sun is still here as it was in the days of Adam and Eve. Likewise, the wind and the water, the natural cycles seem to continue. Solomon says they remain and our perception would be they're, they're just here forever. Of course, we know that the Lord will end it all someday. But people, generations come and go and over time, people are eventually forgotten. There'll be a time if the Lord sees fit to let the earth remain when nobody will know my name or your name. They will not remember. Now, what's the point of all this in Ecclesiastes 1, 4 to 11? We need something more than what this earth has to offer. We're going to be here a short period of time. We need something more than what this earth has to offer. We need a life that is centered in the creator of the heavens and the earth. Not just in the natural cycles that are a part of the heavens and the earth. People here under the sun are always looking and listening, attempting to be satisfied with something here under the sun. But always wanting more. Waiting for some breakthrough that never comes because there's nothing new under the sun. What is constant for now is the routine of nature. The sun, the wind, and the water. But the obituaries show coming generations and generations that are going. And we do not remember our great, great, great grandfather unless we've researched it. Now, see if all this comes together for you. 4 to 11. 
A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full, to the place where the streams flow. There they flow again. All things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. Questions or comments? I want to remind you while we're recording all this, we're going to edit out any comments. Questions or comments? Ecclesiastes 1, 4 through 11. Now we're reading this knowing where Solomon is headed. He's headed to his destination. What life is all about is fearing God and keeping his commandments. All right, takeaways. We've got about 10 minutes for takeaways. Number one, get the picture of the old Berkeley guy off of there. Working closely with the text in Ecclesiastes, as we have done, it is clear that there is not only not much here on earth that is satisfying in the ultimate sense of purpose. There's really nothing here on earth that brings a promise of what happens when we leave here. You can uh, study the horoscopes. You can look at the sun and study the sun. You can look at weather maps and satellite pictures of the cycles of nature and the water cycle. You can study all of that. But not only do those natural functions not provide instruction about what to do while they're here, they don't give you any promise of what's going to happen when you leave here. You've got to elevate your attention to the one who made the sun, who brought the water and the wind into existence. People seem to be as happy as they can be without God, but one day when they stand before him without having responded to him, it will be a judgment day surprise. And that's all wrapped up in this little phrase. If you live your life only about those things that are under the sun and not the maker of the sun, all is vanity. All is vanity. I wanted to talk a little more about uh, looking and listening. I want to share a quote from Philip Rackin, who wrote a book about Ecclesiastes that, uh, unlike Hemingway, has been helpful to me. He said there is especially true now, uh, he said this is especially true now. He's talking about Ecclesiastes 1.8. 
This is especially true now in the information age. Every day we see an endless procession of visual images. And he lists them, he wrote this a few years ago, Comcast, YouTube, Blackberry, Netflix. We can listen to an endless stream of sounds, iPod, iPhone, iTunes, TV, CDs, MP3s. Yet, even after all our looking and listening, our eyes and our ears are not satisfied. We still want to see and hear more. Soon we are back to take in more of the endless processions of sounds and images. We can never get enough. There's always one more show to watch, one more game to play, one more song to which to listen. And so we keep text messaging and webcasting and Facebooking and Twittering and flickering. But what have we gained? What have we accomplished? Is there any profit? You know, I think he makes an excellent point. There is not that next music album that will tell you how to live your life and promise heaven to you. There's not that next series on Netflix that will be so satisfying you'll never have to see anything else. That's what Solomon is talking about. Now, Riken's point is not to turn off all music and video. His point is, it falls short of satisfying the deeper needs of our existence. It falls short of satisfying the deeper needs of our existence. It has been described this way by many preachers before me. There is an empty place in each of us, and only God can fill that. The sun cannot fill it. The wind, water cannot fill it. Music cannot fill it. The Grand Canyon cannot fill it. Nothing new under the sun. There's only one way to fill that empty place in us, and that is through Jesus Christ to enter into a relationship with God and let God tell us how to live and let God tell us what's going to happen if we live that way when we leave the earth. One more thing. Well, maybe two. <clears throat> My grandkids and great-grandkids may not know anything about Charles Rice Berkeley and on down through the future I will be forgotten at some point along with Charles Rice God however knows me and knows my grandfather and God will always know you and God will always seek your response to him before you leave the earth and that response we are able to give through Jesus Christ. Got a couple of minutes. Anything else that occurred to you in the course of our study? Ecclesiastes 1, 4 through 11. Sun is beautiful. Uh, the eclipse. Is there anybody you know who witnessed the eclipse?
this year and said, well, that's it. I don't need to see anything else the rest of my life. Satisfies the deepest needs of my life. Don't need to see anything else. No, not the way it is. The sun and wind and water do not fill that empty place within us. Well, I had a couple of other things I was going to bring up that I simply do not have time to cover adequately. And so I'll ask you to read Ecclesiastes 1 before Sunday. And our concentration Sunday will be from verse 12 through verse 18. Thank you very much for your good attention to our study.